I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Okay. Thanks, Rob. All right, welcome back, everybody, to part three of the Are You Going My Way series. It's been a little while since we've been at it, but we are back. Ben, are you ready to talk about ride sharing today? That I am, Steve. Well, I'm Steve, and I host a podcast called the History of the Papacy Podcast. I have no particular expertise in this area. I'm just an interested amateur. My role will be as a moderator and to ask dumb questions as usual. Ben, why don't you're an urban planner and a history podcaster? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in in these areas of transportation? Hey, um, well. I've always been interested in transportation planning in particular, uh, just in terms of the way, um, now you, you sort of get into planning if you're interested in how urban areas develop. And to me, it was always pretty obvious that transportation systems were the things that were sort of holding urban areas together. So that, that was my main area of interest. We've done two of these episodes so far. So this is part three. Um, it's, like it it has been a little while since we talked but and I would definitely encourage everybody to go back and listen to that first one where we talked a lot about the basics of transportation and uh especially transporting people where it's can be very easy to transport people and then in situations where it's more difficult and a lot of the things that we discussed in that first episode will definitely be helpful for this one uh we talked about the network effects and basics of how transportation worked and how uh systems like that can be very expensive and how they can become very congested uh and how cars and, and different types of transportation work all together. We also discussed a little bit about ele- electric vehicles and how uh, their widespread adoption can be helpful in some ways and harmful in others. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other technologies that have offered some ways to solve some of America's transportation problems, services like Uber and Lyft, the so-called ride sharing and gig economy. Uh, There's quite a few different ones, and we could call those microtrans, and we can also talk about microtransit and transportation network companies. Um, 
with also things like zip cars and similar services. So, um, Ben, what is it that these different companies can do and how do they fit into the system? Well, I think uh, I want to back up a little bit and just uh, focus for one second on the end of your introduction there. Um, There are so many names for this stuff, and it sort of gets to a lot of the confusion about what they even are. Um, You've got the Uber and Lyft companies uh, that call themselves, initially they called themselves ride sharing. Uh, Other people call them demand response services. Uh, And then people like me come up with jargony names like microtransit or transportation network companies. Uh, We often call them TNCs in in meetings. So I'm probably going to throw that acronym out. Uh, Apologies in advance. (laughs) And then... The Zipcar companies, which sort of came a little bit earlier, they tend to call themselves car sharing services. And so uh, as I answer your actual question, uh, hopefully we can tease out what the differences are there. Yeah, maybe we'll start with companies like Uber and Lyft first, because they're sort of their own uh, genre, if you will. Yeah, They initially were called ride sharing, like you said, but they Mm -hmm. really aren't that anymore. It's not a yeah. situation where I'm driving downtown and it just so happens you're driving down, need to get downtown too. So we'll all go together. Yeah. It's sort of morphed from that. So maybe you can d- discuss those a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the original pitch. It was sort of like a, a hitchhiking app or something like that, that you, we could, uh, the idea was that we could take advantage of the spare capacity in our, our cars to, to help provide efficient transportation services. Um, once it came time to find ways to monetize this stuff and make people feel secure, the business model just sort of evolved um, to where we are now, which is that um, <laughs> at this point, relatively few people use uh, ride hailing services or TNCs to arrange sort of paid carpool type things. Uh, that's, that's pretty rare. In fact, they sort of have put a bunch of effort into redeveloping that angle and there's like special services you can join where you try and sign up for carpools within the you know uber or lyft umbrellas but of course what most people are doing is that basically um people take day time out of their day to make themselves available to sell rides to people uh some people do that full time um but what, what happens is that the company will decide that they're coming into an area, they'll establish an office, they'll recruit drivers, um, they have regular meetings with these drivers to go over company standards and policies, individuals get trained, things like that. Um, the drivers get to choose when they work, but they do get pressure from the company because the company is... You know, the company wants to make sure that they have 24-hour coverage, but particularly that they have coverage during, you know, big transportation peaks and stuff like that. Um, When the driver is working, essentially they log in through the app, let the system know that they're willing to work. Uh, And then the drivers, um, when and then when a customer tells the app that they want a ride, the app offers it to the drivers and the drivers accept or don't. Um... It gets more complicated than this, obviously. From the point of view of the company, the drivers are um, contractors. They're considered independent contractors. They drive their own vehicles, and they pay for their own gas. Um, And, of course, they pay for their own 
maintenance and wear and tear on their car. Uh, they get no benefits from the company in terms of health insurance or anything like that. And the company, the driver gets the fare paid by the customer, but the company gets a cut. There's recently been some scandals where um, some companies made it so that you could give the driver a tip, but it turned out that the company was just taking the tip. So uh, there's all these issues within the business model. But basically, in, to summarize all of this, uh, some people use their phone to ask for a ride. The company determines how much it's going to cost, and they offer that cost to the drivers, and the drivers agree to pay for the ride or to, to provide the ride for that money. It really is a quantum leap from where it was, it, it began to where it is now, where they're essentially just taxis. Oh, no, you can't say the t- Yeah, they're, they're taxis. Yeah. <laughs> they're absolutely taxis. They just have a different dispatching system. When that, when Uber first started and it was catching on and it was still selling itself as the sharing, it had ha- actually had grown out of, I don't know if it was the person who started Uber or if Uber took this idea, but it was somebody who was, it was tool sharing. Yeah. If, you know, if I buy a drill that I use maybe three times in a year, I could put my drill out there for somebody to borrow. Yeah. It was was this whole period of sort of like using technology to eliminate the barriers for selling the spare capacity that we have in society. And it was all very sort of uh, anarcho-libertarian utopian (laughs) in a, a really you know, charming way. It was wonderful in, in terms of their ideals. Of course, it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, those times when they were quaint. Yeah. When you think. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an element of like, you know, in retrospect, it's pretty easy to say, well, did they think that no one had tried that before? Like, <laughs> but, you know, I guess that you have to try when you have I these new technologies. I, th- I mean, that's the way that Airbnb went as well, that it was yeah. supposed to be just letting out a room and it's gone into basically hotels. Yeah. But aren't there apps where people can share a, share their couch? Yeah, couch surfing stuff. And, and I would argue that Airbnb and couch surfing, they still have a foot in the original intent more than uh, the ride sharing apps do. But they're also um, less angrily vocal about that. <laughs> so the, the funny thing is that if you talk to a representative of Uber or Lyft or any of those companies, they will swear up and down that they are not taxis, that there is a difference, and that you just don't understand what that is. <laughs> uh, and I am a transportation planning professional, and uh, I disagree. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about, maybe let's just quickly, what is a taxi? Right. And then how do taxis and Uber compare and contrast? Sure, yeah. So etymologically, the term taxi cab refers to the device that taxis used or use to track the fare. And um, So this is maybe something where Uber and Lyft have a leg to stand on if you're really pedantic about it. (laughs) Uh, Basically, the taxi... So what the the taxi calculator thing is, is that when you get in the cab, 
the driver hits a button on this device, and that device tracks how far they go, and you and how long you're in the cab, and that is used to calculate what you end up owing when you get to where you're going. However, I mean, saying that taxis didn't necessarily imply just that little piece of technology seems really pedantic to me. So let's take a look at a bigger a bigger look at their business model. Um, so taxi drivers lease very specific models of car from the company. So the company buys the car and then rents it to the driver. The driver pays for their own gas and their own maintenance. The drivers often have unions, but the company does not provide direct benefits. In many municipalities, taxis have a badge system where there are only a limited number of taxis that are allowed to operate in an area, and they sort of buy and sell that right. Um, right before Uber and Lyft came on the scene, some of these badges had become absurdly expensive in places like Manhattan. I will say that I don't know necessarily how ubiquitous the badge system is outside of New York, but certainly the New York example was uh, kind of ludicrous. So the customers, in terms of the customer's experience of this whole thing, they can like walk outside their house and wave down a taxi as it's passing, or they can go to taxi stands. Um, a lot of municipalities don't allow you to directly wave down a cab. Uh, it's sort of a unique thing in very dense urban areas that you can do that. Uh, so most people who are using a taxi call the company. They, come, they get put in touch with a dispatcher. They tell the dispatcher where they want to go. The dispatcher figures out which... Uh, well, they, they get on the radio and offer the fare to the drivers and the driver who's closest or whatever will volunteer to take the fare. They'll tell the company that they're taking the fare and then they'll drive and pick the person up and take them where they're going. Again, the fare is calculated by that doohickey on the dashboard. Um, but that doesn't really matter to most people. <laughs> the TNC companies claim that because they don't use the thingy on the dashboard, they have a different fare structure, and because uh, the dispatching is done by computers, and because the drivers are independent contractors not driving a special vehicle, that this all adds up to them not being taxi companies. It It's interesting that taxis, especially in the big cities, almost ha have a guild-like structure yeah. where they... The the government puts in certain restrictions that helps right. them, and then they help by paying for you know the fitting certain regulations. Right, and the you know the the reason for that is that it didn't used to be regulated. You know, around the turn of the century, things had gotten completely out of hand. Anyone with a first it was horses, horses, horse and carts, and then then it was cars uh, in the twenties. You know, anyone who could get that stuff, which was, you know, most people, <laughs> uh, when you're talking about like Model Ts and stuff, could scrape together the money to get one of those things. And then it was just like a free-for-all. And there were some pretty serious downsides in terms of, you know, safety for the passengers, safety for the drivers, safety for the general public, just being on the street with these people. Uh, who maybe weren't maintaining their vehicles and weren't sleeping. <laughs> because, of course, you know, as soon as you have an unregulated market like that, there's a certain race to the bottom that happens in terms of the fares, uh, where, like, there's no barriers to entry and there's lots of competition. So 
you know, it got to the point where the 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 fare price had imploded. Uh, how it was being tracked wasn't regulated, and so you know, riders the the passengers were getting ripped off. But then also, it wasn't doing the, the taxi drivers any good either to be living like that. So um, I forget exactly the sequence of events that led to it. Usually there's some nice crisis or another, but uh, New York led the way in instituting the badge system. Again, not every municipality did the badge system, but it, it was understood that like there needs to be some regulation on this. And because of the way that the industry operated, I mean, it's one of these industries where, you know, the companies were really getting everybody, the the companies were definitely raking it in and the drivers were in a pretty bad place, (laughs) Um, you know, in terms of the power that they had in the market. So you sort of had this three-way negotiation between the public as represented by the government, the taxi companies, and then the drivers' unions. Then taxi cab drivers often need a special license as well. Yes, yeah. And that's that's part of the ultimate uh, negotiated settlement. It wasn't just this badge system. It was also, you know, uh, these are the cars. They have to be maintained. You have to be licensed. There needs to be some form of accountability for the pass- for the driver to the passenger. This is how you're going to calculate fares, you know, um, and, and it gets to like, uh, nowadays we have issues with Americans with Disabilities Act issues, ADA issues. And so the taxi companies are supposed to provide a certain number of their vehicles that are wheelchair accessible, you know, the, the bigger vans that uh, can have lifts and stuff like that. Uh, so there's all these regulations that help serve the public good. Uh, the flip side of it is that the taxi cab companies sort of have a monopoly is the wrong word, but <laughs> like you said, a guild or a uh, uh, an oligarchy, <laughs> an oligarchic lock on a local area. Then now aren't, in a lot of ways, the taxi cabs and the ride sharing, quote unquote, ride sharing companies are sort of blending together where taxis are offering more services like set pricing and you can order on an app yeah. etc i mean it's the the big the implicit uh point being made by the the ride ride hailing companies was that you know the taxi industry basically hadn't changed since the 1950s <laughs> there, there were some some minor tweaks in terms of the kinds of things they were expected to be able to do in terms of you know handicapped accessibility and things like that but um really you know we were this is the internet age we all have smartphones and everything and these companies don't didn't seem to be willing to adapt and of course now that they're facing this competition they are adapting the flip side of it is that these ride tailing companies are operating in direct violation of laws <laughs> that exist and the taxi drivers are furious um, because they're facing competition from people who are just violating the law and the government has felt where the, the municipal governments haven't felt like they could intervene uh, for, you know, rightly or wrongly. They were afraid of, you know, these successful companies that were operating in this area. And, and, and these companies were using technobabble to explain why they weren't taxis. And, you know, a lot of these governments didn't feel like they could tell them that they were wrong. 
at the time, I think. Um, so however it happened, we're now in a situation where uh, a lot of municipalities and ride-sharing companies are both sort of tacitly agreeing that, you know, yes, ride-sharing companies are different from taxis. We're all going to nod our heads and agree that this is true because it would be really inconvenient if we had to turn around and try and enforce the law after, you know, 15 years of precedent has been set. But meanwhile, everybody knows that this is an incorrect situation and something needs to get done to sort of fix things. So um, I have no idea where that's going to go. It's not a sustainable situation. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It really is. It's a double-edged sword that the the Ubers and the Lyfts, they're very convenient and they have changed the service in such a way where, you know, places, it was really hard to get a cab or yeah. rides like that in a lot of places that weren't the ur- the core of certain urban areas, Yeah, which it's really changed that. I mean, you can get an Uber almost anywhere now yeah. and it's convenient and it's pretty safe yeah pretty safe and that's one edge and if the municipalities and they have done that where they've tried to maybe make them conform to the law or banish them altogether and it's been hugely unpopular yeah you know one by one the bigger cities are cracking down and i I think ultimately it's a matter of time but in the meantime you know the customers are really appreciating these services because you know um I don't know if I said in the previous episodes, but my wife doesn't drive. And so she's either at the mercy of the bus system, which, you know, public transportation in this country has been critically underfunded for, you know, 50 to 100 years. And uh, it can be really, really inconvenient the wrong word. It can just be impossible sometimes, um, even if you're in an area with service. And so, you know, Uber and Lyft are really important uh parts of the transportation puzzle 
the flip side of that is that, you know, these are people who are operating without benefits, without protections, um, and, you know, acting in direct competition with these taxi companies that are obeying the law. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a tough situation. Yeah. I th- also that, you know, that's really an effective uh, regulatory taking where they're saying that a company that, you know, that for how many ever years, you know, 80 to 100 years getting on now that municipalities have said that this industry ha- is very highly regulated and then they're just letting in yeah. somebody who's doing essentially the same thing. Basically, not regulated. Cons- you're yeah. you're basically punishing the the company that you were giving that to. And I'm mean, that's a really tough knot to unwind. So I have no idea where it's going to go. I, I honestly think, you know, uh, the, the flip side of it also is that the taxi companies, part of the reason they were so resistant to innovation is that, you know, uh, they didn't have to, they didn't have to, cause they were this locked in oligarchy slash monopoly slash whatever. Uh, and you know, they were subject to, in some cases, an absolutely ludicrous amount of regulation. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it a big part of it is the way that they related to their drivers too, because these weren't, even with the taxi companies, they weren't really employees. So, you know, the drivers have some power in terms of they have an ability to resist changes, but they don't really have a stake in the game to a certain extent, other than, you know, keeping things going the way they are so that I can keep making whatever I'm making right now. And any kind of change might be seen as threatening under those circumstances. So, uh, I mean, both it's sort of a, a pox on all their houses you know I, I i would think that the regulations that the taxi companies operate under need to get relaxed somewhat but also the government needs to enforce the law and start cracking down on these tncs now where do these cars like you said they're in certain situ you know they probably are more heavily utilized than they maybe have to be because of the you know the structure of the mass transit system but yeah. buses do have their limitations that they run a certain set schedule yeah oftentimes they're not going to be you know even in the best of circumstances there's right. still you know a couple of you know there's a certain walk from you have to get from your home to a set station right. or stop where these cars are fitting the role where a taxi cab or a TNC, they'll pick you up at your house and they'll drop you off directly at your destination. How does that fit into a, a planning of a transportation system in lar- you know, at large? You know, ultimately, we don't really know yet because this is all kind of new. What it looks like is that it is, to a certain extent, they're operating in competition with public transportation. Um, Certainly there's a lot of trips that are happening that are outside of uh, the kind of place that could be serviced economically by a public transportation system. Um, But they're, they're certainly, if you talk to people in the public transportation industry, a lot of them will say that they've, they've been seeing their ridership rates go down and they want to blame TNCs. I don't agree, or at least not totally. Um, anytime you have a period where the economy is doing pretty well, um, public transportation usage kind of will plateau or shrink. Having the the additional issue of the TNCs there probably isn't helping, but I, I think there's a larger issue. 
of, you know, the economy is growing and they haven't changed the public transportation services being provided. Um, that That's not necessarily what you asked, though. <laughs> uh, it seems like they fit in more where convenience yeah. is more important at that time than maybe cost or yeah. probably more so cost than anything. If you're, if yeah. time is not a factor where I could take, if it's a regular thing, I could take the bus to work right? and that would be much, much cheaper than doing a ride share to work or, yeah. you know, a, a taxi or a Uber to work. But if I need to get to the airport by a certain time and I have a trunk full of luggage that I don't want to lug onto the bus and walk to the bus stop, then convenience is worth paying for over that. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a big part of it in terms of the way my family ends up using TNCs. For example, it's usually, you know, my wife doesn't like, my wife doesn't choose doctors that she can't get to by bus. But that said, if she's got three or four appointments in a day, uh, you know, scattered all over the metro area, you need, you know, sometimes you need to take an Uber between some of those because it's just not going to be fast enough to take the bus. Um, you know, there's other issues where like, um, you know, there's, there's doctors that are on bus lines or, or, you know, doctors, whatever, some appointment or whatever that are on bus lines, but they're on a different bus line. A lot of public transportation systems end up operating on a hub and spokes model. Um, there's a strong move away from that now. I wish people would get on that. But in the meantime, the idea is that, you know, even though the place we're trying to go is, you know, a five minute drive away to get there, it takes two and a half hours on the bus because you have to go all the way downtown, get on a different bus and come back out, you know? So those are the, the kinds of places where uh, Ubers and Lyfts end up uh, coming in as, as necessary or at least highly convenient parts of the transportation system. Ideally though, there is a role theoretically that could be played by TNCs in terms of, you know, getting you to a bus stop (laughs) or something like that. Um, And this is actually something again, that um, is done. Uh, You know, you get on the commuter rail and, uh, the place you're going is sort of not on the commuter rail, but to get there, you'd need to go all the way downtown. You know, you'd need to stay on the commuter rail for an hour and a half, get to the downtown, and then turn around and take a 40-minute subway ride out to wherever it is you're going. So you, instead of doing that, you take the commuter rail halfway and then get on an Uber or something like that. Um, mass, uh the MBTA has ex- in Massachusetts has experimented with doing things like there are community college campuses where they just can't find a way to service them by bus. And so they'll just give students uh, a subsidized, they'll, they'll say, you know, show your student ID to the Uber driver and the ride's free, or the ride's on us or kind of some, you know, you pay a bus fare. Those things are happening, um, but it's like each one of them needs to be negotiated. And ultimately, it's just so much more convenient to just say, I just want to go here rather than taking public transportation first. I could also see in places where they have a 
a well-developed uh, rail situation in a lot of cities where you get from the suburbs, but then parking at the rail stations is, I mean, I, when I had to do that, the parking was hell. Yeah, they can be really bad. You know, I, I remember one of the busiest uh, train stops in the uh, New Jersey transit system is just, it's just a parking garage in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> but it's so, you know, it's so horrible to drive into New York City that the morning commuters will all drive to that cornfield and take the train from there. And, you know, the, that parking lot fills up and then there's people park, you know, parking illegally and taking the, the parking tickets uh, or like there will be nearby uh, landowners who will sell off, you know, spots in their driveway for 20 bucks a pop or something. <laughs> Uh, you know, these, these things definitely happen and, you know, Uber, an Uber or a Lyft kind of thing could really relieve the tension for, and that's, this is like, uh, the last mile problem that you often see, uh, planners talk about is like, how do you, how do you economically serve getting people from the main trunk line to their door or wherever it is they're going? Um, TNCs, and I mean, taxi cabs used to do that. (laughs) You know, that that was what they were for, uh, to a certain extent, uh, for, you know, maybe not for an everyday trip to work kind of thing. But, you know, there was a certain, you know, when I was growing up, we took taxis when we were, like, going on vacation, and we needed to get to the train, or something like that. It was like maybe a couple times a year kind of thing. Yeah, that's probably where Uber and Lyft fit in with say somebody like my lifestyle the most is i use it almost never at home right but, but i would use it i use it quite often when traveling right because then it's you know to get a whole you know learn a bus schedule or to have an app on your phone it's you know again it's a time versus money issue yeah and then i think that i've seen it where people will use it in town as often when um, maybe there's they're drinking yeah. or there's a, a chance where that where taxi cabs did fill that role. But they oftentimes, I mean, almost never were as convenient as Uber, yeah. where you can bring it up on your phone. And yeah, Th- that that's one where basically the only thing that's different in terms of the business model is just, you know, is just that you have a smartphone and you're comfortable using it. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the uh, public transportation often ends at like 1130, mm-hmm. the bars are open till two. <laughs> it's, this is, uh, you know, something that I've certainly, you know, th- this is something where a, a well-functioning public transportation system wouldn't do that. <laughs> that like, you know, in, in other countries, the, the public transportation runs until everyone's home from work, including the people who work at the bars. So mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, given the system that we have, you know, Uber, Lyft and taxis fulfill a very important role in terms of keeping people who've been drinking off the roads. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about some of the benefits of ride sharing and TNC type technologies. What are maybe some of the downsides? We've also discussed some of the downsides, but maybe hit a couple of the big the big downsides as they see them right as you see them from an economics and public policy standpoint we we touched on the issues in terms of the fact that these you know the rule of law <laughs> is being 
damaged and the issues that that implies for uh, taxi companies and, and taxi drivers. Uh, certainly uh, a related thing that we've touched on a little bit, but which I would I would emphasize is that if these companies are actually uh, operating in competition with public transportation, that's not necessarily good um, because uh, public transportation is cheaper. Um, it's just generally better uh, for the environment and for society in general, if, you know, if it could be properly funded so that it could properly compete, that would be great. Uh, but in, in the meantime, you know, if these TNCs are, uh, you know, public transportation companies have dealt with a lot of, um, competition and lack of support in the last 50, 60 years. And, having just one more thing come along to hollow out their market isn't necessarily a, a public good. Okay, so one benefit that we didn't uh, touch on properly, I think, um, th there's a couple of big benefits in terms of um, the rider doesn't necessarily need to own their own car uh, to um, take advantage of Ubers and Lyfts and stuff like that, which, you know, for people who can't own their cars or for people who aren't able to own or operate vehicles safely, you know, that, that's a good thing, uh, generally. And that has, um, that does have environmental and social benefits that we can talk about in terms of eliminating parking. Uh, it certainly would, if you could, uh, make it so that if you take this, this idea to its extreme and say that everybody was just using Ubers and Lyfts and stuff, uh, then you could get rid of uh, parking minimums and things like that, which arguably is a good idea anyway. But, um, you know, so much of the space in, you know, urban areas is taken up by parking that only gets used part of the time. Or even if it's used, you're talking about just storing a car that's not doing anything. <laughs> And this is potentially very valuable real estate in, in urban areas. So um, having it so that the car didn't need to be parked next to the passenger all the time uh, would be potentially an efficiency in terms of public policy. You know, thinking about that socially as well, that it's, you know, in a system where the public transportation system is how it is, that's giving people who otherwise might have to walk several blocks to get to a public transportation situation and then walk several blocks, you know, yeah. some significant amount of time to get to wherever they're going. Yeah. You know, if it is, if it's somebody who needs to go to medical treatment right. or things that just aren't even generally served under the best of circumstances yeah. under public transportation, it's giving them a door to door yeah. service. So there's a whole galaxy of, um, services that operate under the heading of non-emergency medical transportation. So basically any kind of transportation for a medical service that doesn't require you to be in an ambulance. Um, people who uh, qualify under the Americans with Disabilities Act as being on um, disability have access to uh, paratransit services is what it's called through the public transportation company in every municipality in the country. Uh, it, essentially, if there is a fixed route transportation service, 
the company has to provide a service where there is a handicapped accessible vehicle that will come to their door, pick them up, and then take them to where they're going. So long as it's within a quarter mile of that fixed route uh, public transit line. Uh, in addition to that, people who are who qualify for Medicare and Medicaid can often get access to similar services that aren't limited to being within a quarter mile of the public transportation line. Um, some of these services are really good. Um, most of them are mediocre at best, and a lot of them are just terrible, just really, really bad. Like as the worst things that we could say about taxis are just magnified dozens of times in terms of a lot of these non-emergency medical transportation services. And the worst part is, of course, is that they're funded by, you know, federal uh, Medicaid money. Um, but, you know, so what has often happened is that in these situations, doctors will actually get charged if their patients miss an appointment, which is absurd. But that is mm -hmm. a thing that happens. Yeah. yeah. So um, what will happen is that the, the doctors will get fed up with these publicly provided services and just call an Uber for their patients because it's cheaper for them <laughs> to pay the fare than, uh, than, you know, eat the cost of the missed appointment or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a, a bunch of um, really weird stuff in the non-emergency medical transportation area where the way the regulations are structured is just so bad. Um, and it's just, it's pushing people to using Ubers and Lyfts uh, in these circumstances. Um, that said, uh, one of the other things, one of the other criticisms you can make of the TNCs is that um, uh, they don't have to be handicapped accessible. <laughs> so for a lot of the people who need this kind of, you know, flexible, timely, non-emergency medical transportation service, Uber and Lyft just won't work for them because, you know, if they're in a wheelchair or something, the, you know, Uber and Lyft just won't have wheelchair accessible vehicles. So that that's, uh, that's kind of a flip side of that. And then environmentally, which we talked about the last time, they kind of seem, I mean, in the grand scheme of things to maybe come out in the wash, would you say? Because they are just normal cars. So yeah. they're, or in, you know, maybe they're hybrids, maybe they're electric, but probably not Yeah. in many cases. Maybe they're hybrids, but they still, a lot of the, maybe you can discuss some of the impacts of where they're slightly helpful and harmful to the environment, maybe more so sure. or less so than normal automobiles. So in terms of the, Beneficial side, like we mentioned, um, you know, having parking spaces in an urban area is pretty bad for the world. Uh, it's impervious service, so that increases flooding risk. It increases the amount of water that uh, sewage systems have to handle and treat. Um, and, you know, it's just this huge cost to society. Plus, if people were able to not own their own cars, they'd probably walk more. Uh, studies sort of indicate that, which would be better for human health. Um, on the other hand, TNCs are normal cars, so they're producing the same amount of emissions as, as normal cars for the same trip. What's different is that when I, you know, get out of my house in the morning, get in my car and drive to work and then park at work, 
my car is just doing the trip from my house to work. What you often get with the TNCs is, uh, TNCs and taxis is a, a thing called deadhead miles where the, um, the vehicle is just sort of driving around waiting for a fare. <laughs> Maybe trolling. You yeah. might not in the internet sense, but in the fishing sense, yes, you're exactly. driving around to you know, going, find another fare or get closer to something exactly. where there might be potential for a fare. Exactly. The other thing is that there's new kinds of trips that are being stimulated by these TNCs. Um, you know, it's nice that my only food delivery options are have moved beyond Chinese and pizza. So now you have you know Grubhub and Uber Eats and all these companies doing delivery with Uber drivers. <laughs> Uh, where basically the fare that they're taking is a box of food. <laughs> yeah, that's an interest. I didn't even think of that, but that's an interesting new aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it's doing is just generating trips that didn't exist before. Um, there's also package delivery things and, and things along those lines. These things are great for the consumer often, um, but what we're seeing, you know, when you factor all this stuff in between the deadhead miles, the new kinds of trips and things like that. Um, There's been a very good study out of Boston that shows that these companies operating are causing the vehicle miles traveled in the urban area to just go up um, in a way that's not related to the economy by itself or the population by itself. It's just, um, you know, there's just more miles happening because this is there's new ways to use cars uh which means that the system in general is going to get more crowded more congested and there's more pollution that's an it that is an interesting the uh where you bring up new new travel n- mm-hmm. needs if you i mean that's not a need but yeah. restaurants that didn't that were never takeaway if you were to go there you went there and then you went home we're now is well you know not i mean if you were going to drive to a restaurant that otherwise wouldn't have delivered i guess you'd still be driving there right but i mean but, in doing that they're potentially yeah. gaining new business which is an upside you know how would you deal with the situation where the necessity of more car mileage i mean you could i mean i would say in general that is a benefit that people have a new service available to them yeah i mean it's certainly there's a benefit there it's just you have to factor that in against you know what the the cost to the transportation system and everything like that and it's it's not like you know um people couldn't order food before it's just the choices were more limited and things operated at a much more close scale like the uh the local chinese and pizza places would uh they would usually have a one mile limit Mm -hmm. or something like that whereas now you know because that guy doesn't need to get back to base necessarily he can just keep taking grubhub orders out all over the city (laughs) so uh as long as he can there has there has to be a story of why chinese and pizza in particular gravitated towards delivery there is um probably a different show but it it is very interesting (laughs) the sort of the the culinary anthropological angle on this stuff um you know long story short they were 
types of food that weren't valued. Um, so they were sold cheap. So you needed turnover. So, you know, people in those industries put in the effort to develop the infrastructure for doing deliveries before Grubhub existed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, no, but pizza was always like a working man's food. Like the whole point of it was, you know, you can, uh, get off the work site, go down to the end of the block, grab a 99 cent slice and just eat it and you'll be full and you can go back to work. And Chinese food was just weird and strange and foreign. So you couldn't charge too much for it. Anyway, that's a whole nother. <laughs> yeah, <that's> a... <laughs> Maybe we'll add that as an addendum. Yeah. Uh, the, the evolution of Chinese food in America. Yeah. That sounds like a show in and of itself. And there's a couple of great documentaries uh, on it on Netflix, but, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> now, if we get into some of our conclusions for today, because we're we're kind of we're putting the brakes on on figuratively that we're not talking about a major part of ride sharing of where ride sharing might go in the future. But maybe we can just take a little taste of this before, because this will probably be a show by itself is that, you know, kind of the dream of TNCs is that one day they'll be autonomous vehicles that will pick people up, drop them off, and that will eliminate a lot of the problems that um that the that of a, a actual human being driving the car will and that they won't be gas vehicles because they won't have to do the the dead what did you call it dead dead deadhead <laughs> deadheading or the yeah. you know the trolling or sharking to get new fares just I mean, very briefly to give us a taste, is that pie in the sky at this point? I mean, to a certain extent, you need to tune into the next episode where we talk about autonomous vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> assuming that technology works out, um, there's sort of a couple different ways this could go where um, it, it sort of ends up depending on how willing people are to get rid of their own cars and rely on these kinds of services for, you know, a substantial part of their trips, uh, how, how they would end up working with public transportation systems and things like that. Um, it's as the answer to that question is as much about public policy choices and what the market ends up doing as it is about the technology, uh, which means that there's a lot of unknowns there. Now, we didn't plan this, but I have one question. Now that we've talked about the basics of transportation, we've discussed this this TNC or ride sharing that's filled in one of the gaps that's left by the public transportation system. If you were given all the money in the world <laughs> to design the perfect transportation system, Let's say for a, a medium-sized city, because I think the big cities, in a lot of ways, that they're unique yeah. in a way. But maybe a medium-sized city that has suburbs that is definitely more reliant on automobiles. Right. What would you do to design a system that could serve that place much better than it's being served now by personal automobile right. usage? So. There's a concept, there's a couple concepts that I would ideally love to integrate into this sort of theoretical medium-sized city. Um, the first one is actually an app-based system, which is sort of similar to what the TNCs have done, uh, but it's called 
the, the general idea is called mobility as a service or MOS. Um, and uh, the Finns have really developed this strongly in uh, Helsinki and some other places in Finland. Uh, but it's spreading, it's catching on. Uh, but basically the idea is every sort of mode that you can buy access to is integrated into one app. Um, you can pay for whatever you need to pay for through the app. And it just calculates out what the cheapest or the fastest or whatever method for you to travel through the entire system would be. And then you just select your trip and then you go. Um, that said, you know, these, uh, these TNC type services are going to win, you know, nine times out of 10, unless we throw some serious love at our public transportation systems. And I think, you know, I referred, I referenced this a little bit, but one of the big things that we need to do for public transportation systems is get past the hub and spokes to, um, more decentralized is the wrong word because ultimately you're always going to be serving a central place, but um, systems that don't only have single points of failure uh, where people can transfer so that people don't all need to go into the downtown to get to where they're going. Uh, and probably they would need to be up using a, a pulse-based uh, timing system so that people can reliably make their transfers um, and then you know, go, go wherever there it is, they're going. Cause that, um, you know, what we're basically doing with the modern public transportation system is saying that people hate transferring and they do for a bunch of reasons, but therefore all transfers are bad. People should want to transfer as little as possible. And therefore, um, you know, essentially we have networks with as few turns as possible, which makes it not so much a network as it is, a, you know, a line, <laughs> or as close to a line as you can get it to be. Um, so I'm rambling here a little bit, but you know, the, the ideal would be I need to go from where I am to somewhere else in the metro area, but which is also a suburb. I don't really need to go downtown. So I, I punch this in in my app. I, you know, a, uh, a TNC shows up outside my door. I get on that. It takes me to a bus which takes me to another bus and, you know, it's a pretty seamless transfer. And then from that bus, I get on another TNC and get to my doctor's appointment on time, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, you know, and those TNCs would be, you think ideally would be a p integrated into the system and in that they would be a part of the, or at least, you know, the agency, um, you know, if they're not part of the agency, then they're connected into the app so that you can just pay, you know, you, you hit one button and you pay everybody, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, if that makes any sense. I, yeah. I, I think, um, the, and ideally you wouldn't need the TNC in most situations, but you, you know, for some suburban areas, it becomes, you know, very difficult to economically serve them. Um, so for them, you might need a TNC or, you know, if you have someone with mobility issues, having a taxi be part of the trip, you know, to serve their, their mobility challenges, um, that would be, you know, a thing that maybe the app would be able to deal with and, and it is able to deal with in, in the finish example. So, 
that's sort of the future, the 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 utopian future of all this. <laughs> if everything works out nicely, um, and things are properly resourced, that would be the star that we're sailing toward. Well, I think we would definitely hit some important aspects of ride sharing and this aspect of the transport transportation system and we will definitely talk about some other aspects very interesting aspects of the transportation system i think that this would uh, i know that at least a couple of people have been very interested in this series so i would definitely highly suggest them you know people who are interested in this to send in questions yeah that'd be great i'd be happy to answer things like that uh, so we're, we'll be talking a little bit more about autonomous vehicles, and maybe we'll even get into a, something that's not directly, directly involved, but kind of involved in zoning, yes. which I'm excited to talk about. <laughs> yeah, the I mean, land use is a, is a key part of, you know, we, we sort of talked about how I got into all this, you know, you, you can't separate you realistically can't separate how land use is done with from transportation they're they're tied at the hip uh but it's it can often be hard to conceptualize that link so i'm looking forward to talking about that as well all right ben if people want to find out more about your your podcast your i guess you wouldn't say it's your day job (laughs) uh, (laughs) my other hobby (laughs) your other hobby what would you say how can we get uh to learn more about your podcast so my my show is a history podcast about the uh wars of religion in europe and how europe got modern uh it is called wittenberg to westphalia the wars of the reformation um you can find it wherever good podcasts are given away for free and um, you can go to my website, Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast.weebly.com. I'm also on Facebook. There's a, a fan group. There's a there's a, a show page. And then I'm on Twitter at W2W podcast. And if you want to learn, I'm also a history podcaster. My name, uh, my podcast is the History of the Papacy podcast, which is a podcast about the popes of Rome and Christian church. And you can learn more about that at a to Z historypage.com, A T O Z historypage.com. I want to thank you, Ben, for coming on again. We'll definitely do this again. Great. And I uh, will see you next time. Yes. Yeah. Thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.